Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Something very strange happened when I brought my family to Pompeii, Italy. We had been on pilgrimage, vacation in Italy, visiting many beautiful sacred sites, beautiful churches, beautiful art, and historical places like Pompeii, that ancient city that was destroyed 2,000 years ago when Mount Vesuvius erupted and destroyed the city. And my kids had studied this place, and they were excited to go see it. And we're walking around the excavations, and I happened to notice a young Italian couple that was looking over at us. And they followed us a little bit. And they kept looking over at me. And finally, they came up and the man came right up to me and said, oh, can I meet you? Uh, could, could we take a picture with your family? And he's got a big smile. And I said, oh, sure. And I round up the kids. We take a picture with them. And I'm thinking, this is kind of cool. There's a, a fan all the way out here in, in Italy. Maybe they know me from EWTN or from my podcast. It's, it's kind of cool. But I quickly realized he wasn't taking a picture because he was a fan. He then started asking questions like, so are these all your kids? And he's counting them up. He goes, eight kids? Are, they, are these all yours? I said, yes. And he said, and, and you had them together? You and, and this woman, your wife, and you're married? I said, yes, we're married. And, and together you, you had eight kids? And, and he just couldn't believe it. And, and he starts smiling and even laughing a little bit. And he says, wow, uh, we've never seen anything like this. Eight kids from, 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 from just you two. That's amazing. Could, could we get another picture with you? And I realized he wasn't a fan. He wanted to take a picture because he just thought we were like a freak show at the circus and a strange specimen in this modern world. They just wanted to get a picture of us. Have you ever had that feeling where like you just feel like you just don't fit in with the people around you? You don't fit in in this crazy secular world. Maybe you know, you've got a family member that is just thinks you're strange for your Christian beliefs, your Christian way of life. And they kind of look down on you a little bit, you know? You just get that sense that they just think you're you're too extreme, you're too religious, you're too rigid. Or maybe you're worried about what your neighbors think of you or what people in the office think of you, what do my colleagues think of me, or my boss, if my boss really knew my convictions, what I really believe, you know, when I get the promotion, we find ourselves worried about that, afraid of being rejected, afraid of being looked down upon, afraid of being canceled. And it could be over basic human beliefs, like children are a blessing, they're wonderful blessings, or it could be that you believe that sex is for marriage, (laughs) or you believe marriage is between a man and a woman, or you believe something as basic as this, a baby in the womb should not be killed. If you hold these convictions, the world will not like you. You'll be viewed as intolerant. You'll be viewed as strange. You'll be looked down upon. And many people today are, are just so scared of living out their faith. But Jesus himself said that the world hated him first. And if the world hates you, he says, remember, they hated me first. Jesus is described in the Gospels as a sign of contradiction. If we're really faithful disciples, we're we're not going to fit into this world. And that's especially the case today as our world's become ever more secular. But it's the case from the beginning of Christianity. And in this month of November, I like to think 
about those early Christians, those martyrs who suffered so much more than we do. You know, November is the time where we think about the last things. We think about where our lives are going. We think about death. And I like to think about the martyrs, those great men and women, those heroes of the faith. They suffered so much more than we do. You know, I yeah, my ego was hurt a little bit that day in Pompeii um, when I was kind of mocked, a little bit laughed at. You know, that didn't feel good, but it wasn't as if I was torn away from my family or thrown into prison or tortured or thrown to the lions. But when you hear about the men and women of the early church and the great courage they had, they were signs of contradiction and they wanted to be faithful to Jesus, to love Jesus and follow him all the way to the cross. They were willing to suffer so much more than anything that's being asked of us right now. Who knows what's going to happen in the years to come, what persecutions we may face, but we, we all are facing little persecutions right now, and we can learn so much from the lessons of the martyrs. You know, there's that great saying that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and it was through their witness that we're here today and could receive the Eucharist and, and, and receive the graces that come from the sacraments and the truths of our Catholic faith. Let's celebrate the martyrs this month of November. Let's talk about their witness. And what did they do to be able to give a faithful witness with their lives, even unto death? That's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree, and I want to give a shout out to uh, the many new listeners that joined uh, and subscribed recently during my little speaking tour here in October from Wisconsin to Wichita to Nashville to New York and Uniondale, New York there. Uh, welcome. Thanks for checking out the show and welcome to everybody else who's been with us for a while. If you've been listening recently, you know I've mentioned a few times this Rome pilgrimage I'm leading this Lent in March, and I'm so excited, March 1st through 9th, 2022 here. But today I want to share with you some exciting new pieces of this trip. First of all, we got all the details of the trip finally all together, so I have the official brochure uh, that's available now that has pictures, updated pricing, updated um, details about the itinerary and all that. So I know some of you have emailed and we gave some just preliminary information about the trip. Now we have the the full official brochure all available. We can send that to you if you're interested. But more than that, I want to announce to you that the trip, uh, even though it's filled up pretty quickly, we only have a dozen spots left, but we're going to do a special to fill those dozen spots. Are you ready? If, if you register by November 16th, so we're going to offer this limited time two-week offer here. If you register by November 16th, you can get $200 off of the pilgrimage. So I'm so excited to do that. So uh, to offer it for you. So if you register by November 16th, you get $200 off and you could go walk the streets of the martyrs. You can go visit the tombs of so many of these martyrs of the early church, the early popes, those great saints. Uh, if you want to learn more about the pilgrimage, you want to get the brochure, you want to learn about the $200 off, you can email me at rome.edwardsree at gmail.com. That's rome.edwardsri at gmail.com for all that information. And I tell you, Lent is just an amazing time to go to Rome. It's pleasant. The average temperature in March is 61 degrees. It's a wonderful time because it's not the height of the tourist season. So it, we're going to be able to have easy access to all the places we go. 
But the beautiful thing is it's a great way to begin Lent. You, you get connected with all these traditions of the early church, like Ash Wednesday. We're going to get our ashes there on Ash Wednesday. Uh, that's where the tradition of Ash Wednesday began. We're going to be able to experience the churches called the Station Churches, where it's a great tradition going back to the early church where they would remember the various sites and tombs of the martyrs in Rome. And, and, and Roman Christians would go to a different church each day to have mass with the Pope. And we're going to get to see some of those Station Churches. We're going to get to venerate the relics of Christ's passion that are in various churches in Rome. It's going to be incredible. But some people are wondering, is Rome safe? Is it safe to travel to Rome? You know, the, Rome's had all the coronavirus issues. And I just want to assure everyone, Rome has been open since June. I led a pilgrimage group there and it was easy, total access to everything. It was not just easy. There were no crowds. And, and this is, I think, a unique thing that that is going to last up until about this summer. I think this next summer, you'll see tons of tourists coming back. But right now, when we went this summer, we had access to the Sistine Chapel practically by ourselves. It was our group and maybe, I don't know, 30, 50 other people. I've never been in the Sistine Chapel like that. Normally, you're packed in like sardines with thousands, you know, uh, maybe a thousand other people, or at least several hundred, and you're just packed in. And uh, we had it practically all to ourselves to contemplate it, to enter prayerfully into it. And uh, I've never experienced Rome like I have this year. Uh, so, and, and I don't know if I'll ever get to do it again the rest of my life. So this could be a unique opportunity to experience Rome like never before. Uh, consider joining me. That's March 1st through 9th here, that first week of Lent. And if you want the information about the trip or information about that $200 uh, special that we're offering here in the next two weeks, email me at rome.edwardsri at gmail.com. That's rome.edwardsri at gmail.com. But let me tell you about uh, some of my favorite churches that have the tombs of the martyrs there in Rome. I want to tell you about one of them that's that's somewhat hidden, and you'd probably miss it if, if it's not on the average tour guide, I you know itinerary. And yet, it's I think one of the most important places in the city of Rome. I want you just to picture yourself. Imagine if you're just on your own and you're walking around the Colosseum, and you decide to kind of go off the trail a bit and just meander through a small neighborhood near the Colosseum. And you find yourself just in this very simple neighborhood, you know, unassuming, just you smell all this great Italian cooking that afternoon as everyone's making their pranzo, their big, uh, their big afternoon dinner meal. <laughs> and you see two men sitting outside a coffee shop, smoking cigarettes and vehemently debating the merits of last night's Italian soccer match. And maybe you see a couple kids uh, kicking a soccer ball back and forth in a piazza. And you see a young couple sitting on a bench in love probably showing much more public displays of affection than you're used to seeing in, in the United States. And this is just a kind of a snapshot of what you would find in a little neighborhood like this in 21st century Italy. And in this neighborhood, there's a, a little building that has a, a orangish, yellowish wall and a simple green door. There's no big sign marking this place. There's no lines of people coming in, no tour guides. And it's just a very simple building. And you could be tempted to just walk right by it. But if you dare to go through that green door, which is the green door I love to lead pilgrims through, you will step out of 21st century Rome and step into the 11th century. 
and you find yourself in an 11th century beautiful basilica with a beautiful mosaic depicting Jesus, the vine, and we are the branches. It's one of Pope Benedict's favorite pieces of art in all of Rome. And, and, but that's not what's the most important thing in this, in this basilica. What's most important is what's under that mosaic, under the main altar. You will find the tombs, the remains of two early Christian martyrs from the very first generation after the apostles, the very first century there, St. Ignatius of Antioch and St. Clement of Rome. Now, I don't know how much you know about these men, but they're famous partly because they, they were some of the early witnesses to faith. They left behind many writings so we can get a sense of what was early Christianity like right after the apostles? What did they believe about the Eucharist, about the Trinity, uh, about apostolic succession? Uh, it, it's incredible, the writings that they have there. But I like to think about Ignatius of Antioch. He was a bishop in Syria, and he was arrested during the persecution, and he was brought to Rome. And on his way to Rome, he hears about how some of the Christians in Rome are going to try to release him. They're going to try to get him out of martyrdom. And you know, if, if that were me, I'd be like, oh, whew, maybe I'll get a second chance on life. And so thankful those Christians are fighting for me, <laughs> you know, because I'd, I'd be so scared of my martyrdom, right? But that's not what Ignatius of Antioch did. When he heard about it, he wrote a letter to them and he pleaded with them saying, please don't do this. You know, no, let me go to my martyrdom. I long for this. And you read that and think, wow, what is that all about? You know, sometimes we hear these stories of the martyrs and we almost think that they're kind of like these superheroes, you know, like the Avengers or something. They can do these amazing things and they have these, you know, amazing spiritual superpowers. They're willing to go to their deaths, you know, for the faith and, and they have something amazing to offer up. That's not what's going on here. They're not like the Avengers. They're humans like you, like me. They had faith. They had weaknesses. But in the end, what we're going to see with Ignatius of Antioch, what was driving him to his martyrdom wasn't, I just want to make a sacrifice and have something to offer up to Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't so much so self-centered like that. It, it was more, he, he was a man that was just madly in love. He was so madly in love with Jesus. That's what was driving him to his martyrdom. He writes about this. He writes about how he's got this deep desire welling up within him. And he longs, he's just longing to be with his beloved. You know, I think about just recently, I was passing through the Denver airport and um, coming home from a trip. And I noticed that there was, uh, there were all these military families waiting for their, their beloveds to come home, whether it was their husband or their dad or their child to come home. And they've been away overseas for a long time. So it was at the international terminal, their international uh, entryway after customs. And it was just so beautiful to see. You'd see somebody come out and uh, see his wife for the first time and who knows, six months, a year. And, and they're just embracing each other and in tears to be together again. Uh, children hugging their daddies, parents embracing their son. It, it was just beautiful to see that, how much they long to be together again. That's what was on St. Ignatius of Antioch's heart. That's what was on so many of the martyrs' hearts in the early church. Don't think of them as like superheroes. They're just amazing, like spiritual avengers. They lay down their lives, let their bodies be thrown to the lions. <laughs> you know, Think of them more as lovers who, who are separated from the one they love, and they can't wait to be fully united with their beloved, their beloved's Jesus. And they long to go home. The real home is not here on earth. 
That's what we think about in November. In November, the liturgical readings and the uh, is all there to remind us of our true homeland is heaven. And the martyrs remind us of this. And so think of their great love. And so if you want to be more courageous with your faith, if you want to be able to, to stand up and speak the truth more, to live your faith vibrantly, to be that sign of contradiction that Jesus wants you to be, grow in love. Don't, don't, don't just try to think about, I got to do this great heroic thing. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time doing Lexio Divina, reading the scriptures, filling your mind with good things, filling your mind with your beloved. Let your heart expand and grow in love because it's love that drove the martyrs to their martyrdom. It was love that made them want to give up their lives for Jesus and to remain faithful in the midst of intense torture and persecution. We will never be able to you know, speak the truth to our boss or to a family member if we don't have deep love in our hearts. That's what we can learn from someone like St. Ignatius of Antioch. Now, St. Clement is also buried in this church under that main altar there. You may remember his name from the Eucharistic prayer at Mass, you know, Eucharistic prayer one that says, has all those names of all the apostles. Remember that really long Eucharistic prayer? Uh, It's a beautiful prayer. It goes back to the early days of the church. And you may remember the words Linus, Cletus, Clement, Cornelius. Well, Clement is that Clement in Eucharistic prayer one is the Clement that's buried in this church. And he's the fourth Pope. I mean, think about that. I mean, he's like an early successor of Peter. This is incredible. And he was martyred in a persecution and sent off to the Black Sea and was put overboard in uh, with an anchor tied around his neck and drowned in the Black Sea. And eventually his body was, was recovered and brought back to Rome. So these two great saints, these martyrs are in this church that many people miss because no one really knows that this is an amazing site for pilgrimage. And if you got to go inside this church, it would be really cool. And you could pray at their tombs. But I got to tell you, there's a lot more to this church than even that. See, because what you really want to do is after you pray at the tombs of Ignatius and Clement is go to the little bookstore in the back of the church and then find the little stairway that'll take you downstairs and go down that stairway. And when you do, you will walk down to the fourth century, to a fourth century basilica that is underneath the 11th century. The 11th century church is built over the 4th century. As a friend of mine says, Rome is like a city built over a city, built over a city. So they would just destroy the old church, use it as rubble, as foundation to build the new church over it. And that's what they did. And if you go down to this 4th century church, this was a church built shortly after Constantine had liberated Christianity and allowed churches to be built. And you're thinking, wow, this is incredible. I'm in I'm, I'm in a church that the very early Christians, when, when they were finally able to have freedom, freedom to worship Christ. This is one of those first churches that was built. This is incredible. And you can walk around this church and that's really cool. But if you stop there, you would still be missing another incredible gem in this church. What you want to do is go to the back corner of this fourth century level in the excavations and you'll see an even smaller, narrower staircase, a steep staircase that takes you down another level. And when you go down that staircase, you go down to the very first century, first century level of Rome. These are the streets that Peter and Paul would have been walking on. These are the streets of those early first century martyrs. This is where Clement himself lived. 
in fact, that's what we're going to see when you go down. There's this. There are two houses that are excavated on the first century level, and one house is a a pagan home. It was it was dedicated to the pagan Mithric cult, and they had their own ritual um, of of initiation and ritual meals there. But right across the street from that pagan home. Uh, you you go to the the other side of the alleyway, and there's another home there that's believed to be the home of Clement himself. And the tradition is that Clement opened up his home for the Eucharist to be celebrated. What you're walking through is what's known as a house church. You see, in the first century, they had house churches. They didn't have big basilicas. They didn't have big cathedrals. They didn't have churches at all. Christianity was illegal. <laughs> and so you had to do mass in hiding. You had to do it in, in, in the homes. And Clement is believed to open up his home for the early Christians to celebrate the Eucharist. I mean, think about this. Maybe Peter and Paul celebrated mass right here. It's very moving. Every, every year when I take pilgrims to this very spot, you know, we go in and I'll do a little reading from Clement's writings himself. We're reading Clement's writings in Clement's home. And, and we give great thanks for the gift of the Eucharist because it was, it was men like Clement that were willing to risk their lives, make many sacrifices so that the mass could be celebrated and passed on from one generation to the next. Who knows, would, would we be able to go to mass if it wasn't for people like Clement? And there's many of these house churches in Rome that you can go see, uh, but it's very moving to think about the heroism of those early Christian witnesses giving their lives for the Eucharist. Now, there's so many other great saints we could talk about if we had more time. Uh, I'll just share a few more here. I love thinking about a wonderful martyr for purity. And I want to speak now, particularly to any young people listening right now, whether you're a young professional in their 20s and 30s, you're a college student, a high school student, you know how hard the battle for purity is in our world today. It is such a sexualized world and so many people have been deeply wounded by this sexualized world, and they struggle with many, many wounds, even addictions. If you've ever struggled with purity, I want you to listen to the story of this next great saint I'm going to tell you about. But even parents, you're raising kids in this sexualized world. You want them to battle purity. Well, this is good for you to know about as well. It's the great Saint Agnes. She was martyred in 304 AD. Who is Saint Agnes? Uh, I love taking pilgrims right to her church. It's right near the Piazza Navona and right built right over where she was martyred. Agnes was a beautiful young woman, so beautiful that she had many suitors, many people wanting to marry her, but she had found her own spouse already on her own, and her spouse was Jesus Christ. Yes, she consecrated herself as a virgin to Jesus. And so she's one of these early virgin martyrs that we have in the church. And what happened was there was a Roman soldier that proposed to her, and she said no, and he kept pressuring and asking, and she kept refusing. And finally, she had to explain why. She explained that she had dedicated herself to Christ. And he was outraged when he heard this. And he reported her to the Roman governor, handed her over to him. And the Roman governor tries to get her to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ, and she keeps remaining faithful. And so what does the Roman governor do? He throws her into a brothel he throws her into a brothel, hoping that she'll, she'll give up her purity, and then she'll give up her crazy Christian faith. And, but what happens is God protects her. She had a great love for Jesus in her heart, and God was faithful to her in this persecution. Any man that approached her, any man that looked lustfully at her, would immediately become blind or maybe even die on the spot. And so they end up having to just 
behead her. That's what the Romans decided. She's not going to renounce her faith. And so they behead her. And the soldier that had to cut off her head was trembling before this beautiful woman who he could tell was 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 like angelic, was just so different than any woman he had never met before and was so nervous about cutting off her head. St. Agnes goes to her death for the sake of purity. So let's pray to St. Agnes, asking her for purity in our own lives and purity for the next generation. I think about another great saint that's there in Rome and was buried in the catacombs, uh, a martyr for the Eucharist, St. Tarsisius. You may know his story. He was a young boy who was an acolyte and he was taking the Eucharist secretly to Christians who were in prison, Christians there in the prison awaiting their martyrdom, and he wanted to give them the bread of life. So he went to, he was on that mission to bring the Eucharist to them when some pagan kids saw him and they saw him carrying something and they asked him what it is and he wouldn't tell them and they kept pressuring him, tell us what it is, tell us what it is, you Christian, and he wouldn't tell them and finally they started beating him and beating him and eventually they kill him. But he never let go of the Eucharist. He protected the Eucharist from being, being desecrated by these pagan boys. And when they rolled his body over after he died, they wanted to see what he was holding. The Eucharist had disappeared miraculously. St. Tarsisius died protecting the Eucharist. And Jesus miraculously protected himself in the Eucharist from being desecrated by those, by those pagans. You know, what I hope you're seeing here in the story of all these great martyrs isn't just they did something heroic. They just, you know, stood up for their faith. Notice the love in all of them. We talked about the love of Ignatius, the love he had for Jesus. We talked about Agnes. She, she gave herself as a spouse to Jesus Christ. It was love that drove her to stand up for her faith. Same thing with Tercius. He loved the Eucharist so much. He wanted to give the Eucharist to those Christians awaiting their martyrdom so they could have the bread of life before they face their death. And then he ended up facing his own death to protect Jesus out of love for the Eucharist. I hope we're seeing the pattern here. If you want to be courageous, if you want to stand up for your faith more, if you want your children to stand up for their faith to be willing to face persecutions that, that they're going to have to face in the secular world. Teach them to grow in love. Teach your heart to grow in love. Spend time with Jesus in prayer. Spend time with him in the Eucharist. Spend time with him in his word and allow your heart to be taken over. Just again, like I think those soldiers that were just longing to be with their children, to be with their wives coming back from overseas. We are pilgrims, soldiers here on earth, fighting the battles for Christ, but we're longing to be with our beloved Jesus. This indeed is the beautiful message of the martyrs and their witness for us today. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about my pilgrimage to Rome, this Lent where you can actually go and and walk the streets of those martyrs, visit their tombs, pray at the very places where they were martyred so that their stories can be written on your heart, uh, email me at rome.edwards3 at gmail.com. That's rome.edwardsri at gmail.com. Thanks so much and God bless.